Um, Today's reading is from Ephesians 4. So please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Okay. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, in which, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. As Adrian said, if you're new here, just grateful that God brought you to gather with us this morning. Uh, We are a family together, want to uh, come together as God's people to encourage one another, exhort one another, and point one another to Jesus. And so our hope this morning as we open God's word is that we would get to do that together, no matter how old or young you are, uh, no matter what your background is, we're just grateful to gather together this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, and just ask him to bless our time in his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for today. It's a good morning to be together. It's a good morning just that we've gotten to worship you through song and now get to worship you through the preaching of your word. We are your people, and so we ask you, God, as our God, as our good Father, that you would bless our time this morning, that you would bless us through the preaching of your word, that as we sit under your holy, inspired, living, and active word that you would bring about transformation and change in our life. And Lord, we're grateful that there are people from all ages and all backgrounds here this morning. We pray that you would draw all of us, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's even going on in our life this morning, I pray that you draw us to yourself. And God, we just ask that you'd make us more like Jesus today. So we give this time to you, Holy Spirit, work in and through it to your glory, for your glory, for our good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you uh, took a psychology or sociology class, maybe in high school or in college, you might have talked about something that's often called the bystander effect. The bystander effect is a sociological phenomenon where individuals are less likely to offer help to someone in need when other people are present. And studies have been done to actually say the more people that are present, the less likely we are to engage the need. There have been studies done where somebody's been acting out, laying on the ground as if they're in distress in a crowd of people, and people just keep walking by, keep walking by, don't stop to help. And even worse, now in our day with the smartphone, sometimes people just get out their phones and take pictures or videos of someone in distress. Now, it doesn't always happen when someone's in need. I watched a video uh, of an experiment that was done, and and the testers had created this environment, created this room where they put someone who was being tested, didn't know they were being tested, in the room with a group full of people to fill out some paperwork. And all of a sudden, smoke started to fill the room. 
No one reacted but the person who was in the room that they were kind of seeing what they were going to do. And, and that, the woman noticed there was smoke filling the room, but because no one else got up and no one else moved around, she sat there for 20 minutes and did nothing, even though the room is filling up with smoke. Now, interestingly enough, when they just did that with one person in a room by themselves, as soon as smoke came in the room, that person got up and sought help. See, bystander effect is a form of group think. When we're alone, we're more likely to engage or react. When we're in a group, though, we tend to do what everyone else is doing. So if one person doesn't react, no one does. Now, one last interesting tidbit of information, no one thinks that they would do this. Right? Like, I mean, you'd, people ask you, like, would you succumb to the bystander effect if you saw someone in need in the midst of a group of people? And people are like, no, I wouldn't do that. I would never. I would always engage. But studies have shown time and time again quite the opposite. Well, today we're continuing on in our sermon series called Our Confident Hopes. And, and this is a series that we're going to be walking through not only for a few weeks now, but we're going to come back to in the fall and in the spring again. And really, asking the question and kind of coming together to think about what does it look like for us to be a faithful church? And we've been thinking through what God wants us to be focused on as a church as we look ahead to the future of Sojourn Church. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at why we exist as a church, and it really comes down to what we often call our vision statement or mission statement. Sojourn Church exists to glorify God by making disciples who know the gospel live out the implications of the gospel, and share the message of the gospel. Now, this statement isn't something we just kind of came up with on our own. It's rooted in two different things. It's rooted in the great commandment that Jesus has given to us to love God and love others more than we love ourselves, and the great commission that because Christ has all authority, he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey everything that Jesus commanded. So that's why we exist as a church. But another question that's emerged for us in the midst of thinking and praying through this is how will we continue to exist as a church? How will we continue to exist as a church? In other words, how will we see the vision of our church lived out? How will we be faithful to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples? As we get into our text today, we will see the answer to this question. But here's the answer. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. In order for Sojourn to continue to exist, we must embody an every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. Let me say that again. If we're going to continue to exist as a church, we must embody in every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. In other words, in order for us to be faithful, we have to have the opposite of the bystander effect. Now, my hope today is that as we look at this text in Ephesians 4, that God would help us to see, help us to understand, and embrace our collective role as the church. That we would believe and act like we believe that we are better together. That we're better together. Let me say, if you're a new follower of Jesus, or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're new to this church, or you're new to church altogether, my hope for you this morning is that you would get at least a picture of what Jesus' church should look like, how Jesus has called us to interact with and live life with one another, that you'd have an idea, a better idea of what a follower of Jesus is to be about. And we're just so glad that you're here this morning. So let's go ahead and jump into Ephesians chapter 4, 
And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. As we jump into this, you can obviously see that we're in the middle of the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kids, I think that's one of your notes in your bulletin. You can write, who's this letter by? It's written by the Apostle Paul. But let me give you a little context about what's going on here in this letter. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church. It's a small church, a gathering of God's people that are starting to follow Jesus. And and Paul's seeking to encourage them. And so he spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians reminding and refreshing God's people in the truth of the gospel. That though they once were dead in their sin and their disobedience, God, being rich in mercy, made them alive in and through Christ. They have a new life in Jesus now because of everything that he did. Living a perfect life of obedience to God. Dying on the cross for our sin and being raised to new life. And so Paul's reminding them of this reality. That God has poured out his mercy on them. That they've been freed from their sin. And he reminds us in the in the early part of Ephesians, that if we are saved, if you are saved from your sin, it isn't by your works. It isn't by your good behavior. Those things don't negate one another, that if you're a really good person, that somehow God overlooks the things that you've done that have been rebellious against him. No, Paul says it is by grace through faith, trusting in Christ and him alone. And so it's out of that reality that Paul calls the Ephesians and us, the beginning of chapter 4, to walk or live in a manner that's worthy of our calling. To live in a manner worthy of our calling. What's that calling? For all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, is to do just that. Follow Jesus. To know him and follow him and live a life that's oriented around Jesus being king. And he also tells us in the beginning of Ephesians 4 to maintain unity with one another. That if we're going to be the body of Christ, that we have to maintain and strive and put effort forward to bring about that unity. Jesus has purchased unity for us, but we have to continue to work at it with one another. So when we come to our text today, he's speaking to this local church, and he's speaking to us as a local church about what life should look like in light of the gospel, in light of God's grace given to us in Christ, and how our lives should look as we exist together in community. A community, which Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, is his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you look at your text, if you look at your Bible uh, right before you, this wasn't on the screen, but in verses 7 and 8, one of the things that we learn is, is that God gave grace and gifts to each person who is in Christ. He gave grace and gifts to each person who is in Christ. That means if you are united to Jesus, you've placed your faith in Christ, then God has gifted you, not just with relationship with him, but he's given you gifts to be used for a purpose. So then we see in verse 11, our text today, that Paul says he gave something else, and he gave. Now the he here is Jesus. The he, who gave this? It's Jesus. And who is he giving this thing to, this gift to? It's to the church. So what does he give in addition to the gifts and grace already mentioned in verses 7 through 8? What does he give us? He tells us in verse 11, he's giving us leaders. Let me read verse 11 again. And he, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now what are all these things? They're both roles and functions. Specific people fill these roles, but it's really about what they're doing within these particular roles. Apostles and prophets, as we learn in Ephesians chapter 2, are those that came before teaching us what Jesus taught. 
laying out the gospel for us. They are the foundation of the church, that everything the apostles and prophets have talked about, that they're continuing to teach and establish the church through those teachings. Evangelists, those are missionaries and church planters. They're really, the word evangelist really is about being a gospeler, someone who's preaching the gospel, going out and expanding God's kingdom by communicating God's word. And then lastly, shepherd-teacher. Really, those should be combined as kind of a hyphenated role, a shepherd-teacher. These are what we often think of as pastors who shepherd the church, and how they shepherd the church is with God's Word. Really, when we look at these things, it's really coming back to the Great Commission again. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them all about who I am and what life with me looks like. See, I think what we can really boil this list down to, what it encompasses much of, is just local church leadership, both initially as the church is established and in an ongoing manner. Local churches are led by pastor elders, those who are called by God to lead God's people, to feed God's people, to protect God's people, and to care for God's people. God's people that have covenanted together to be a local church. See, what all of these roles and functions have in common is that they are called to articulate and apply the gospel. They're called to articulate and apply the gospel to our lives. Which leads to the next super important thing for us to note. Verse 11 says that Jesus gave the church these roles and functions filled by specific people as a gift. But to what end? For what purpose? Verse 12 states it really clearly. Two, here's the reason why he gave these this group of people to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Paul lays this out for it. He's saying Jesus gave pastor elders to the local church to equip them for two interrelated things, the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. And again, this is what we call evangelism and discipleship, all with the gospel being central to that. We're seeing people come to know Christ and then growing in relationship with Christ. To be disciples who are making disciples. I mean, that sounds good, right? We're like, okay, I can get on board with that. Like, that's what we're supposed to be about as a church. But like, how long do we need to do that? How, how long do we need to actually be focused on this? Like, do we ever move on to something else besides this initial aspect of evangelism and discipleship? Like, do we arrive or is there something else to focus on? Well, thankfully, Paul gives us how long, the duration of this calling. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is Paul saying? Simply this. We have to do this until we all look like Jesus. Which means we've got a long ways to go. There's no end date. He's not like, do this for the first two years of your church and then move on to something different. No, until every single person that calls Sojourn Church their church looks exactly like Jesus and this is what we're supposed to be about. And this is similar to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now in the next few verses, Paul gives us the why and the how of this. Why is Paul so focused on this? Well, he tells us us in verse 14, so that we aren't tossed to and fro by false teaching and false doctrine and false ideas. Really, anything that would lead us away from Jesus, lead us away from following Jesus or trusting in Jesus. 
See, as followers of Christ, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in the world, and it's a world that's constantly preaching to us. See, we come and we gather here on a Sunday morning, and God's word is preached and it's given to us, but everybody, as we go out into the world, the world has a message to preach to you, a a different gospel, which is a false gospel, and it's constantly communicating to you. It's telling you that you should find your worth and value in what you do and what you have. It's telling you to find your calling, put your hope in people and pleasure, calling you to be your own king, your own Lord, your own master. And unfortunately, even within the church, there are mixed messages about what it means to both know and follow Jesus. Half-truths, half-gospels that in the end are no gospel at all. Churches that add things to Jesus. You have to follow Jesus and do these other things. Churches that elevate politics and privilege and power over holiness and humility and the kingdom ethic that Jesus has called us to. See, here's the reality for all of us. Left to ourselves, it can be hard to keep following Jesus. It can be hard to keep following him. So how are we to help one another become more like Jesus? Paul tells us in verses 15 and 16. Rather, instead of being tossed to and fro, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, if you've been around the church for a little while, you may have heard that phrase before, speaking the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love isn't about truthfulness in a general sense. I think sometimes we can think it's like, well, I'm going to tell it like it is, but just do it gently. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This isn't permission for you to go out and speak that way to one another. No, speaking the truth in love is about gospeling one another. Because that's what the truth is. It's the truth of the gospel. It's who you are in Christ and what life now looks like in Christ. It's helping each other elevate our view of Jesus in a world that continually seeks to disparage Jesus. To elevate Christ who has all authority, as we looked at last week. All authority, the one who created all things. The one who was and is and is to come, who holds everything together to elevate Jesus in that way amongst one another. Speak the truth in love because, so that we're not tossed to and fro by what the world would call us away from. To elevate Christ, Christ, the one we follow, Christ, the one we're united to, Christ, who will come again and bring us home, Christ, who when we see him, will be made just like him. See, speaking the truth in love is reminding each other of who God is. It's reminding each other of who Christ is. It's reminding each other of what the gospel is. It's reminding each other of who we are now in Christ and what what our life should look like here and now as we follow Christ. Notice what he says in verse 16. We are the body of Christ. That means some of us are fingers and some of us are hands and some of us are feet and some of us are eyeballs and toes In all parts of the body, we come together as the body to be the body of Christ. Everything flows from Jesus, who is the head. But notice what he says at the very end of verse 16. We can only grow into Christ's likeness when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly. It can't be like, well, half the body's working properly, so we're good. No, Paul's goal and Christ's goal for you and for our church is that each part is working properly. 
In order to grow up, it means the church must be connected to Christ and to one another, working together in the context of love. And see, that's the point I want to drive home for us today from this text in light of talking about why we exist as a church and how we will continue to exist as a church. Because see, this isn't so much about how we will do those things, but who will do this. And what Paul is seeking to communicate is that it isn't the pastors who are called to do the work of ministry. It isn't the leaders that are called to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. As disciples of Jesus, we're a part of that. We're going to be included in that to do that work, but we're not the only ones that are called to do that. What Paul's communicating to you this morning is it's you. It's you, the church. The pastors and leaders are called to pray and to think through how to equip you, mainly through preaching, mainly through teaching, mainly through the application of God's Word to you, reminding of you of who you are in Christ, and reminding you that Christ wants all of you, all of your life. But it's you who are called to do the work of ministry. It's you that are called to help build one another up into Christ-likeness. To be disciples, making disciples. See, the role and functions that these people, Paul lists out in verse 11, are given to the church. They're given to help the church thrive. But they're given to help the church thrive by helping the church use its gifts. Gifts that every single person, if you are a follower of Jesus, has and must be used. That means that these leaders that he lists out here and the leaders of this church are here not to be served by you, but to serve you. To come alongside of you and cheer you on and point you towards Jesus. Why is that the case? Because you're the ones that are on the front lines. You're the ones that are on the front lines of life. You have more opportunities for mission in your workplace, in your classroom, in your neighborhoods. I love getting to know my neighbors and seeking opportunities to share Christ with them. We have one of our neighbors over even this week just building relationship with her. And and some other neighbors came over in the afternoon as the weather's warming up for us just to build relationship with them. I love getting to do that, talking to them about Jesus. I love that that my family got to serve in the hypothermia clinic that we had over uh, the month of March. I love being able to do that. Edward, one of our other staff pastors, loved going to Earth Fair I, partly because they have really good juice there, <laughs> but also because he gets to interact with a lot of the people that work at Earth Fair, and God's giving awesome opportunity to, to be a light for Jesus at Earth Fair. But the reality is, most of the time, we spend most of our time with other believers. And man, I love that. I love grabbing coffee and lunch with you. I love having you over to my house and, and encouraging you in Christ, but you're the ones that are out on the front lines. You're the ones that are going and engaging people who don't know Christ more often. You're the ones that are even in community with one another more than I can be with all of you, more than Edward can be with all of you, more than Tom can be with all of you. You have those opportunities, that face-to-face time with one another to build each other up. See, the pastors are called to encourage you. They're called to equip you with gospel truth to be who you are where you are, to be who you are where you are. Look back at Ephesians 3.10. Flip over to that. This is the purpose of the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He doesn't say pastors there. He doesn't say leaders there. He doesn't say those who have it all together. He says through the church, through you, 
that the wisdom of God might be made known. See, what Paul is driving home, what I want us to understand and see is that true spiritual growth and progress and fruitfulness, true faithfulness cannot occur apart from the body of Christ, apart from the local church. Sojourn, we are better together than we ever could be alone in doing what God has called us to do. And God has called us very clearly to glorify him by making disciples who know the gospel, live out the implications of the gospel, and share the message of the gospel. See, the beauty of the local church is that we can all have a diversity of gifts, a diversity of backgrounds, but when they come together, there's a beauty a beauty, and a unity in that. That there's just a, a glorious picture of God's people coming together in unity to work together. Sojourn, that means that we are mutually necessary and mutually responsible for this work and ministry. To be and do all that Christ has called and commanded us to be and do. Now, some of you know this, that my family is a big baseball family. We love to watch baseball. We love to play baseball in our backyard. Uh, just, we talk about baseball a lot. It's a big part of our family. If you know anything about baseball... Uh, one of the ways that you can get an out in baseball is if a fly ball goes up in the air and a player catches the ball. There's an out, right? But oftentimes what happens in Little League and, and sometimes in professional baseball is a ball goes up in the air and everybody looks up at it and they kind of look at each other and they look up at it again and then the ball just hits the ground, right? Nobody moves towards the ball because they're thinking, well, maybe somebody else will get it. I don't really know if I know how to catch it or if I can do it. And so they just kind of stand around and the ball drops and so there's no out, Listen, we won't be faithful if we live in community with one another. We're around one another on the field. We're looking up at that ball. We see it up in the air. But we succumb to a bystander mentality. We won't continue to exist as a church if we sit on the sidelines waiting for someone else to act, waiting for someone else to catch that ball. No, if we're going to continue to exist as a church, we must embody in every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. A culture where the pastors and leaders can encourage you and equip you to be who you are in Christ as you take up the privilege to live out the vision and mission that he's given to us as a church. Listen, there are no spectators in Jesus' church. We are called participants, part of the body, tasked with the good work Jesus has prepared beforehand for us to walk in for his glory and the good of others. Simply put, we all have to be all in. We all have to be all in. Now practically, what do I mean by this? It means first off that we just can't have an individualistic mindset when we think about how we are involved in the life of the church. We can't have an individualistic mindset when we think about serving or giving or encouraging or challenging or evangelizing or making much of Jesus. We're only thinking about, well, how does that affect me, and, and what are my opportunities, and how can I do those things? No, we need to be thinking about the body as a whole, together. See, the call to grow into Christ-likeness isn't so much about the individual, though it includes that. It's about the whole body. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at why we exist as a church, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, this command that's rooted in Jesus' resurrection authority. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that if we don't abide in him, that we can't do anything. He's the vine, we're the branches. 
apart from Christ, we can accomplish nothing. That means Jesus has to be central to our lives. He has to be our greatest treasure where we orient everything about around Christ, our King. So let me ask you this morning, is he central to your life? Is Jesus just a spoke on your wheel of life or is he at the center of it where everything else about your life orients around Christ? Is that true for our church? We say it's a core value of ours that Christ is central. Is that true? Will it continue to be true? Does sojourn as a whole reflect Christ-like character and conduct? See, why we exist as a church is clear, and I hope today how we will continue to exist as a church has been made clear. But the reality for us as a church is that why we exist and how we will continue to exist has been laid out for us in Scripture And that through that, as we've continued to pray, we've come up with what we're calling our confident hopes. What do we believe God wants us to do as a specific local church as we strive to live out the great commandment and the great commission? And so as we walk by faith, following our Savior, striving to live out God's vision and values for sojourn, we have 16 confident hopes for the future of our church. And these things aren't hopes that, that we're just kind of pulled out of thin air. They're, they're from Scripture. We believe God has shown us these things in His Word. And they aren't things that we just have come up with on our own. It's not like just the leaders went off on retreat or elder meetings and that was the only time that we talked about these things. No, we have been engaging you. These are things that have been birthed out of the last five and a half years as a church and hearing things that God is burdening you with and calling you to. Conversations we're having with you. Things really that flow out of an every member ministry culture. And so what I want to do this morning as we wrap up our time is just briefly share these 16 hopes with you. And we're going to give you something at the end today that will list all these out so you can take them home. Then over the next two weeks, we're going to preach on two of them. We're going to preach on a few more in the fall and then preach on a few more in the spring and come back to them over and over and over again. So Sojourn, these are the things we believe God is calling us to as a church One, that we would have a culture of a relentless pursuit of God through His Word. A relentless pursuit of God through His Word. A church where every member knows how to study and apply the Bible to life. Where every member is daily communing with God by engaging His Word and reading His Word and memorizing His Word. Where every member is submitting their life to Scripture. Second, these are in no particular order of importance. These are all important. Second, that we'd be a multi-generational church, that we'd have a more accurate representation of the generational demographics of Fairfax, and where we value and engage all generations and life stages. Third, that we'd be a multi-ethnic church, that we'd have a more accurate representation of the ethnic demographics of Fairfax, and that we'd incorporate more multi-ethnic and multicultural components into the life, style, leadership, and community of our church. Fourth confident hope, holistic discipleship of all people. A church where every member is growing to maturity in Christ and helping one another to do so. And that all people, regardless of age, gender, or ethnicity, are valued and cared for. Where care is given to those that are struggling in all parts of life, whether that's spiritually or mentally or physically. Fifth, our fifth confident hope, that every person would be connected in transformational community. A church where every member is meaningfully connected to at least two or three people where you can be fully known and fully loved. 
where every new person, whether they know Christ or don't yet know Christ, is given clear opportunities and paths to connecting to our community. Six, an unwavering pursuit of holiness and humility. A church that's committed to disciplining ourselves for godliness, committed to encouraging one another to holiness and humility, but the way that we do that is through gentleness and patience and long-suffering, grace and love. Seventh, our seventh confident hope is that we'd be in a a church of absurd faith, a church that is constantly living by and making decisions that are rooted in an absurd faith in an amazing God, that the way that we step out would only be because we believe God is going to move and God is going to work, that we live lives together marked by faith in all things, not fear, not foolishness. Eighth, persistent prayer that we'd be a church on our knees, praying to our God with a culture of pray first, pray during, pray after, and pray often. Asking God to do what only he can do. Nine, radical generosity. That we would be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. That we would come with our hands open asking God, God, what do you want me to hold on to? Because everything is yours. That we might see the mission of God go forward through our church. Tenth, Rampant evangelism and frequent conversion. That a church where all members are both equipped and actively engaged and regularly sharing their faith and sharing the gospel. And that through our faithfulness that God, the one who saves, we would see people from all spiritual backgrounds and walks of life coming to know and follow Jesus. Eleventh, that we'd be intentionally sending that we'd actively, intentionally train, develop, and send both local and global missionaries and church planners. Not saying this is just about our church, but we'd see the church globally grow as we intentionally send men and women out to take the gospel where people have not yet believed or not yet heard. Twelve, twelve, that we'd have a culture of prolific servanthood. I would love for our church to have a culture that exhibits a constant tension of a shortage of opportunities, not of people. We have so many people that want to serve that we're having a hard time finding somewhere for you to serve, as opposed to the other way around. 14, or excuse me, 13, adoption, orphan care, and foster care. That we'd be a church where families and people are regularly pursuing adoption, pursuing orphan care, pursuing foster care. That we provide education and care and resources to those families who have adopted or in the process of adopting or fostering already. 14, that we would be a merciful community to our community, a church that would constantly and continually engage and care for the marginalized and the downtrodden, a church that lives in such a way that our community, that Fairfax, would genuinely be sad if our, if our church no longer existed. 15, heartfelt corporate worship. A culture that would exist of active engagement and display of our minds, our hearts, our bodies in listening, receiving, singing, and confessing corporately. And 16, that, we, that God would provide a permanent gathering and sending location for our church. Praying that God would provide in a clearly supernatural way a place for our church to be rooted in Fairfax. A place to minister in and from so that we might serve our community from within our community. That in doing, instead of doing stuff like hosting Hypo Clinic for just one week, that we'd host it for months, allowing the community to be a part of and come into a place that God would provide for us. 
Now listen, I know that's a lot to take in. I know that's a lot to try and even begin to process. And probably for some of you, you already have a lot of questions that are coming up with that. And we get that. But one thing I want to make sure we definitely get today is this, that we know the who of all these confident hopes. And the confident hopes, the who of the confident hopes is twofold. See, these aren't just hopes. We could have just, these are just 16 hopes we have. But to me, that kind of sounds like, well, I mean, we kind of hope it happens. Now, these are confident hopes because we believe in an almighty, all-powerful, awesome God. And we can ask him to do these things. Some of these words, absurd faith, rampant evangelism, radical generosity. Man, those are things only God can do. And we believe he is calling us to be the ones that are doing that. That he wants us to do these things. And that same God will enable and empower us to see them to come to fruition. A few months ago, we told our covenant members this, and a few weeks ago, we announced this on a Sunday morning. My family and I, just in a few weeks, are actually going to be starting a sabbatical over the summer, a time where we're going to step away for some rest and refreshment in the Lord. We might see our joy and zeal for God and ministry to increase as we come back to serve in and at Sojourn Church, but I love that we're rolling all these confident hopes out right before we get ready to do that. Because the us that God will enable and empower to carry out and see these confident hopes come to fruition isn't me. And it isn't even the other pastors and leaders in this church. It isn't a few key leaders. It's you. All of you. We are the church together and Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so we want to see this culture permeate our church. Like if we blast music at my house on Bluetooth speakers, it it reverberates and resonates throughout the house. There's nowhere in the house you can't hear it because we want to have a dance party. We want to get together. We want to have a good time. We want that same thing to happen in our church where it would permeate and resonate and reverberate throughout every person that calls sojourn their church. So in order for us to see these hopes become realities, we have to be unified together under the lordship of Jesus, the leadership of the church, with this vision and hopes being something that we all take up and we all take responsibility for them. See, the reality is we could be the body of Christ, but I don't want us to be a dismembered body of Christ, but a unified body of Christ. If we're going to be effective as a church, faithful to our Lord and actually grow and mature ourselves. These hopes aren't on pause until I get back from sabbatical because these hopes aren't about me. Quite the opposite. Strategies and goals will be formed around these, and we want to be praying and asking and praying Jesus-only prayers. We're, we're, we're asking boldly for God to do things that only He can do, and we're going to begin talking more with you and saying, what is God doing in your life with these 16 confident hopes? What is He asking you to do in these areas, and how can we work together towards these things to see them become a reality for our church? The crazy thing, the good thing, the encouraging thing is many of these things are already in motion. They're already in existence in some way, in various stages, but we don't want to just see them be in small pockets of the church, but again, permeate the culture of our whole church. So over the next three to five years, we are calling everyone who calls sojourn their church to pray, to plan, and to act towards these hopes and what we're calling Vision 2020, our confident hopes. As I mentioned, we're going to hand something out to you at the end. It's this front and back piece of paper that has our why we exist as a church and our core values and identities and how we'll continue to exist as a church. And then on the back are listed the 16 confident hopes. And so I want to encourage you to take one of these as a family in the back. 
Find somewhere to put it up in your house or put it where you spend time with the Lord in the mornings as you're praying. Take some time just as a family even to, to write these down and spend a week praying for one of these for each week and going through them. But somewhere where you're not going to tuck this away and forget about it, but where you'll see it. Ours right now is posted up next to the side of our refrigerator where when we walk into our kitchen, it's there every time and we can look at it and think about it and talk about it and pray through it. So grab one of these from Matt on your way out in the back. Listen, if you're new to Sojourn, I hope what you've heard this morning is this is what we want to be about as a church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that God has gifted you and maybe perhaps God is calling you to bring your gifts to be a part of serving along with us to see these things become a reality. We'd love to have you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope this morning what you've seen in this is, this is what we believe Jesus' church should look like. These are the things that we should be about as a church. And this is a community where even as you might have questions about what it means to know Christ or follow Christ, that this is the type of community that you can hang out with to have your questions answered, to learn what it means to know him and follow him. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians 4 is clear. The leaders of Sojourn are here to encourage and equip you to do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ to become more like him. As I said at the beginning, the bystander effect is a form of groupthink. But an interesting phenomenon of group dynamics is that in a group, when one person reacts, when one person engages, often others follow and jump in. Sometimes it begins with the faith and faithfulness of even just one to affect the whole group. Maybe God's calling you to be that person. Would you at least pray and ask him, God, what do you want me to, how do you want me to affect the culture of my church? Sojourn, I'm hopeful for what God will do in us. I'm hopeful for what God will do through us if we will just listen and take seriously his word and embody in every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. We are better together. So let's get to it for the glory of God and the good of others. Every week at Sojourn, we take communion together, and we take it together for two reasons. First, because Jesus died for our sin, and he rose again. We eat the bread every week to remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. And we drink the cup every week to remember that his blood was shed for us, that we might be forgiven and set free. But we also take communion together because Jesus brought us together to be a family of brothers and sisters who exist to glorify God by making disciples. So as you come forward this morning, rejoice in the fact that you don't come alone. That there's a room full of people that are going to come and take communion. That we are a family united together by Jesus to make much of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward. And the reason for that is because part of taking communion is testifying to the fact that our only hope is in Christ. So again, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, but we want you to take Christ before you take communion. So if you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, pray and tell God that. To let somebody around you know that you want to start following Christ. And let us help you and, what, and show you what that looks like to do that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks. You've made it so clear to us. There's no mystery when it comes to why we exist as a church. Jesus has declared that for us. And Father, we're grateful that you've told us of how we will continue to exist as a church, that we have to be the church, working together, living out the giftings and callings you've given to each of us 
to build up the body of Christ, to do the work of ministry. And so, Lord, I just ask this morning that you would make it so. Would you stir in us and stir us up to work together, to be disciples who make disciples? And God, I ask right now that you would enable us and empower us to see these 16 confident hopes come to fruition over the next three to five years as a church. God, as I even read them this morning, I know we cannot do this on our own. If it's up to us, we will fail miserably. And so we plead with you, we ask you, God, that you would work in us and you would work through us so that when these things come to fruition, we wouldn't be able to take the glory from you, but only testify to your glorious might and power that's you that have done these things. So God, we ask once again that you would be glorified through Sojourn Church. Make much of yourself as we seek to be faithful to you. We praise you for Christ our King who saved us and reconciled us and brought us together as brothers and sisters. We pray all this in his name. Amen.